tune in, tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. In Guitar Lesson 30, I go to Dan with three questions looking for guidance. Dan picks up on some very important points about the big picture, maintaining enthusiasm, the importance of live work and how to push yourself towards being an advanced player. You'll hear some jamming over a Danny Gatton style backing track, a blues shred idea and plenty of snippets from players as Dan shares the wisdom of his experience. Hello there, Dan. How are you doing? Not bad. Not bad. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Still reeling from our lesson last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, found that eye-opening as to how much you can lose of your skill if you don't keep practicing. Well, yeah, I guess it's the case that we don't always end up playing everything we've learned over the years every single week or every single day. And so if there's a particular skill that maybe doesn't get an airing very often, it can be a bit of a case of use it or lose it. Is that kind of how you felt about the, the sort of funky feel? What I found was I had to go back to um, striking the strings, tapping my foot very consciously to get it to go back to being able to do that naturally. And it took a, you know, a few hours each day. Mm-hmm. In order to get that moving along a bit, there's still quite a lot of work to do. So I wondered if today we could carry on with that kind of theme, but also think about a few big questions to do with practicing and moving your skills along. Mm. Particularly in my case, and I know we've looked at this before, but I found that having the time to dedicate to practice is a very frustrating thing. Yeah. I want to be playing the guitar all the time and I just haven't got mm. all the time. So it sometimes stays in its box for a long time and mm. sometimes I, I don't get to play as much as I'd like. So there's that. Then I'm also wondering as well, what skills do you think you need in order to be moving along from being an intermediate player and a kind of dabbler mm. to being more of an advanced player? And I, I know that's going to be playing Oof. with other yeah. people is going to be a big part of that. Big questions. And one final question as well Mm -hmm. would be, when you're in a rut, what do you do to get out of it? Yeah. (laughs) I think I might take your last question first, if that's all right with you. Any order's good. (laughs) Okay. Everyone gets in a rut. No one is infallible. Doesn't matter how good a player you are. The better you are, the higher you set your sights. The higher you set your sights, the harder it is to achieve that. And there is this thing with guitar. I know I've said it before. I firmly believe it. I don't know why it works like this, but a lot of guitar players seem to agree that it does. And that's that guitar seems to move in plateaus. So what I mean by that, you learn something, it takes you to the next level. 
and then for a long time you can be seemingly doing the same thing and nothing moves the game on. Then something comes along, maybe it's a cool chord, a great song that you've been meaning to learn for ages that has some really great stuff in it, or something happens that you can get into your playing that, that you couldn't before, maybe you, you master a lick or a technique, or it could be a number of different things, and it seems to project you to the next level. Sometimes it's you learn a new scale and it just has a sound to it that you've been looking for. It could be so many different things. But guitar has this very unnatural, uncontinuous kind of learning curve. At the beginning, it's much more of a straight learning curve. I learn a chord today. I learn a chord tomorrow. Now I know twice as much as I knew yesterday. In three weeks' time, I've learned six chords. I can play them, I can loosely string them together. I've got a fairly straight learning curve. But then when you get down to the finer points, when you get down to the bit where you can play the damn thing, Mm. you can blag your way through playing in a band, even if you're not totally and utterly competent. You can pull some kind of improvised solo out the bag. You're trying to push for those other things. And it can seem like nothing happens for ages, or it's, it's just not falling into place. And then you nail it, and then you move to the next bit, and you stay at that next level where sometimes you feel you get in a rut. And I think the ruts sometimes are caused by us doing the same thing, but they're also sometimes caused by the fact that we sit on those plateaus for quite a long time before moving up to the next one. So you mean like digesting the stuff that you're trying to learn at that point in time takes quite a while? Yeah, I kind of remember working on lots of different stuff, and I still do. And I remember working on the technique things. And sometimes just nothing seemed to fall in place, you know? It's just each day is as bad as the last. Your picking sounds terrible on Tuesday. It sounded even worse on Monday. And now we're on Wednesday, and it's oh, oh just a complete cataclysmic <laughs> car crash. And then one day you wake up, and you can pick. Well, what? Yeah. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> what happened between Monday and the last four months of practicing this blooming picking? Of course, I don't know whether it's your brain kind of learns gradually what's happening. It's possibly different people process things differently. But I remember once I embarked on the fast stuff, I did get better sort of gradually. But some things, it seemed to take quite a while before the penny dropped and then once the penny dropped we were well away and we were we were off ski and i yeah. wonder because every time you get onto one of those new plateaus you're probably going to be there a while and possibly towards the end of being on those plateaus where you're starting to get to the point where you've had enough is that where the rut kicks in i'm not saying it is i'm just putting it out there yeah folks answers on a postcard get or you right can just email in. us Join us on our Facebook page <laughs> and get chatting. Get Send chatting. Us Tell us what you think. But I, I mean, I think most people agree that you can practice something and some goals are further away than others. So getting out of a rut, how to do it. Many, many years ago, are you sitting comfortably? I'll be <laughs> This Going back quite some time ago, I would probably put it at ooh, eight, ten years back maybe. I really, really felt like I was in a rut. I was bored with my own playing. I couldn't play the jazzy stuff very well. It was like a rock player being completely out of his depth. And I felt 
kind of a bit like when your own playing makes you bored. Yeah. Like, I'm bored, we've got to do something different here. I've got to change the numbers. You know what I sometimes feel? I sometimes pick it up to practice and I start and I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then I like the tiredness of the day sets in. I'm like, oh, this is tiring. I'm falling asleep here while I'm playing. It's not good. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, when you work full time, I'm lucky enough to work in music, teaching people yeah. and playing. And often it's said to me that, oh, well, you'll do something you really like. And yes, you do. But you give of yourself an awful lot when you teach, as you know. Again, this is something that, that you do in your secular work. You give a lot of yourself to people. You're giving them stuff, musical stuff, that you've been working on for years sometimes and trying to get them to improve and trying to get them to, to understand where you're coming from. And so you, you channel an awful lot of your emotional energy into lessons. And then, you know, you still need to save plenty for your family and, and your other things that you're doing in life. Yeah. So it's, it, can, it can be quite tiring. And I always find that, you know, when you're dealing with other people's musical problems, you're not necessarily addressing your own. True. Because, you know, they're paying you to address their musical problems. Yeah. And so for that reason, you know, you're, you're not going to address your own musical problems when they're paying you to deal with theirs. So yours are still sitting on the back burner somewhere. In fact, probably the most time I get to play is in between lessons when people don't show up. Yeah. That probably offers me the biggest opportunity to actually try new things, ironically enough. So I've got an apology because I always show up. <laughs> no, 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 don't apologise. No, 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 it's all good. <laughs> so when I, had, when I felt about 10, 18 years back, I was in a real rut. I'd got to this funny kind of place. I wasn't really playing in a proper band at the time. I wasn't really fulfilling what I wanted to do, and I'd always been in a band, and always enjoyed being in a band, and don't like the idea of not being in one. And so I had that kind of harping away at me a little bit. You know, I was still building up the band that I'd just started, and I was quite glad to be in it, I think, at the time. But also, I kind of had a friend who was very excited by guitar. You know, I hadn't had much money for a long time, and just before this point, I'd sold a lot of my gear that I used for stage, because I was broke. And I, at one point, went down to two horrible little transistor practice amps. One for me, one for a student, a handful of effects, a couple of guitar leads, and one PRS, the saving grace. For you. And that, that's <laughs> all I had. Now, one decent guitar, so that's good. One decent guitar. And then yeah. and I had a mate who was excited just to be alive, I think, and to be into guitars. And he was like a puppy wetting himself every five minutes with excitement. Yeah. And he got me back into it a little bit. His enthusiasm rubbed off. But in the wake of his enthusiasm, I also had some friends which he connected me with up in Essex. And some of them knew the great Phil Hillborn. Now, of course, for those who don't know, Phil Hillborn was a contributor of Total Guitar Magazine and Guitarist Magazine also. He wrote the original syllabus for BIM. He's a great player. He played on many, many We Will Rock You shows at the Drury Lane Theatre right. over the years that the We Will Rock You was running and also continued to do it, I think, in Germany for a little while as well. So Phil's great player, loads of experience.
thought, Do you know what? I haven't had a guitar lesson in ages. I need to shake it up a bit. And I went to Phil and I said, my jazz playing is crap. I feel like I'm just pretending. And he made me feel better by saying, well, he said, I'm not the best jazz player either. I feel I blag it as well. But I said, also, I'm in a bit of a rut. And he gave me loads of stuff that I wouldn't have thought of doing and got me out of that rut. He got me excited again. Yeah. And this is what it's about. Even if you're excited about the licks you're already playing, that's kind of good enough. You need to find something which excites you. You yeah, know, that sounds pretty spot on. You know, I found those rhythms quite interesting. Yeah, because it's it's such a weakness, isn't it? And uh, it took me back to sitting down and you know really consciously thinking of every one e and uh, and tapping my foot on the mm-hmm. one and and then the upstroke at a different time and that whole kind of strange body motion took me right back and uh, realised that I did have to go back there and go over that stuff again. That was quite exciting doing that, and it got me thinking mm. I'm going to write out a load of grooves. And I think one thing that you can do, which will really help if you're a guitar player, is never forget that however good you are, you're a student of the guitar. This, yes. this thing will likely beat you. This instrument that we love so dearly, will likely beat you before you beat it. Oh, there's no doubt. You know, <laughs> there's always going to be something else to learn. You know, and even once you feel you've mastered the six string, if you ever get that far, there's seven, eight, nine, ten string guitars out there if you so desire. If yeah. you really had it with guitars, there's always the Chapman stick if you really want to be confusing instruments to work on. It's a never-ending process. But I think things that you can do, never forget that you're a student of guitar. Never forget that you can learn something off anybody. doesn't even matter if they're nowhere near as good as you. I'll tell you some of the things I've done, and I think these have been quite instrumental in holding my interest. Now, I'm sorry, folks, there's not a lot of playing going on here, because this isn't about licks, really. This is about you personally finding something. Motivation. Finding something that fires you up. What is it that gets you excited about guitar? Is it owning lots of guitars? Is it strange effects is it different sort of tones is it writing songs what is it you need to kind of find out what makes you tick what excites you yeah you know what motivates you for me it's like this uh it's a bit vague which is a bit of an issue isn't it but it's a bit like uh this kind of desire to know how far i can go along with the journey What is there to learn and then can i learn it it's almost like a challenge it's like climbing mm. a rock face but I would like to add a few more challenges in there. Things like playing more live. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, friend, a friend of mine was saying that he wanted me to do some playing at his uh, 50th birthday. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, of course. Because I yeah, wouldn't be worried about that. But then I spoke to the person who I play drums with and he's not in a place for thinking that you can cope with that. So now I'm thinking I need to branch out and find other drummers and other, you know, just to do certain things with. I'll tell you some of the things that have helped me. Things that I've done, some of them consciously, some of them maybe subconsciously, but I think have really helped to fan the spark because I've been playing guitar now for... Oh, jeez. I've been playing since about 1982, 83. So, I mean, 1988, that was, well, 30 years ago, wasn't it? 1988 was around about when I first picked it up. All right. So I'm about five, six years ahead of that. So I've been playing for about 35 years now. However, I made a big mistake. And I had a great teacher when I was in Bedford, a guy called Dave King. Mm-hmm. If you ever come across him, he plays in a band called Mojo. 
good blues guy. Mm. And he was, he was pretty good. But I was young and arrogant and didn't want to listen enough. And I was practicing. I was playing chords and stuff, but just not in a methodical way. And then when I reached about 18, I put it down. Didn't pick it up for maybe 10 years. Yeah. And then when I did... It was with renewed interest and to find yeah. out, you know, and, and from that point I've been serious. I was saying to you at the beginning of this session that, you know, we were talking about some pretty deep stuff and I was saying how through my whole of my life, the one thing that's been a constant, because life comes with its ups and downs and its, you know, challenges, if you want to call them that. Yeah, um, it certainly does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Music's been a fairly constant force, almost like a stabilising force something that I can always rely on to be there. It doesn't change, and it doesn't ask anything of you. All the guitar asks of you, if, if if you wish to get something back out of it, is that you pick it up once in a while, and you show it some love. And yeah. it's as simple as that. Yeah, you've got to pick it up. Man. That's but very, it, very <laughs> man. <laughs> it really is true. Mm. But you have got to pick it up. Links, man. It's, easy to, it's easy to put it down, isn't it? And to, it well, is. I think what's helped me, for one, I always enjoyed being in a band. For me personally, live work was always where it was at. Getting out there, giving it to the crowd, having fun with it. I want to hear those speakers roaring. You know, to me, that's, that's where I'm at. I love the sound of the guitar and I love it when you're on stage and you can just hear Big fat well. note yeah. all around you being supported by the band, and the guitar just sounds absolutely amazing. It's almost like a sound, as Dave Gilmore said, you can almost lean back on the sound, yeah. and that's a, a great feeling. And it's an even better feeling when you feel yourself start to fly and start to take off with it a little bit and kind of get that excitement that only great improvisation and a fantastic gig can, can give you. As time went on, because you end up playing in a lot of bands and a lot of different gigs and all the rest of it, life then sometimes throws you these curveballs. You can end up not so much losing interest as maybe losing your mojo a bit. It's like you still have an interest and appreciation. You've still accumulated lots of guitar knowledge, but you might lack that sort of enthusiasm and excitement that you see a small child have. You know, when you bring out the chocolate and they're like, you know, my two kids, you bring out the chocolate, they're, boom, they're there. <laughs> wow. Where do you come from? <laughs> yeah. Daddy, you bought chocolate. Oh, okay. <laughs> I forgot But that kind of like enthusiasm for it is something that, as life throws its curveballs, isn't always easy to hold on to. I found myself much happier when I was in a live band than not. Much happier when I was gigging than not. Because for me, I really, really enjoy gigging. I miss recording. I haven't done some recording for ages. My computer's kind of too full of rubbish at the moment to allow me to record pop properly. It needs replacing. But I, you know, I love recording, but the hours that you need to put into it yeah. are long, you know, to make it work properly for you. And it's something I would like to get into, maybe as the kids grow old and I've got a bit more time. But gigging, I feel kind of like empty and useless if I don't gig. And when I've not had a band to gig with, what I used to do is I'd seek open mics. And it's the next best thing. Because the thing which is 
for me personally more exciting about musical stuff is the the social aspect when you get together with other people it's you know you think it's fun jamming to a backing track but when you jam with other people and they're good music has a its own lease of life you know that yeah. falls way outside of just playing over the same old backing track so i would seek out open mic nights if you want to play in a live band go to an open mic night yeah. rely on the fact that the house band should be good enough to pick up what you want to do pick a fairly well-known tune or something that's a fairly straightforward track that's easy for the guys to play and go and do your thing yeah that's it it's going in with a bit of an idea of what you're actually going yeah, to play yeah going it? with a plan yeah, yeah. three songs is usually what you get on an open mic night we have an open mic night I'll be hosting down the road in, in three days time on Thursday at the Stag in Port Slade. So when's the next one after that? Because I think I'm... they're monthly now. So I have to let you know where the one is after that. But there are yeah, always yours would be a good one. <laughs> it would be. So that is number one. Number two. Sometimes buying a piece of kit can be really, really invigorating. It's something I keep meaning to do, and I just haven't got around to doing. Is buying a looper pedal. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, and kind of mastering Got that. that. <laughs> yeah. Got the recording thing. We're recording this uh, podcast episode on instead. But, but some so. sometimes, you know, you go out there and, and get a, you know, depending on your financial situation, get a piece of kit that inspires you. If every time you plug your pedal board in, you hate that compressor, go and change the damn thing. That's another thing that you can sometimes do. Sometimes pieces of kit... Like, I went a few years ago and I bought the Strymon Timeline. Every time I use it, I find it an inspirational piece of kit. And the guitars as well. At the moment, I'm playing my exotic HSS Strat. And I love it. To me, it's an inspiring piece of kit. And it just makes me want to play. And it's just a tone monster. Yeah. You know, if that's what gets you excited, maybe think about that. Have you ever had a keyboard? Actually, oh, no, it's a completely different instrument. Before we had kids, we borrowed off some friends a few years back a uh, electric piano. And we yeah. ended up having it for about a year and a half. And I mean, that's called trying another instrument. Getting yourself a teacher. Well, as I say, when I was in a rut, I sought the help of Phil Hillborn. And he got me out of that rut. Yeah. He got me excited. He gave me something to strive for, something to aim for. Because I should probably say, I don't feel like I'm in... A rut, really. No. I have been in the past. There's probably lots of our, our listeners who do get in this situation. Yeah. I speak to a lot of people, usually it's the older clientele. You know, they played guitar when they were younger. The kids have gone to uni now. They've got a bit of time. And they're just doing the same old stuff. If you don't want to spend money on gear, if you're too timid to go to an open mic night, if you're not sure about the expense and everything of getting a good teacher... There's so much stuff online which is good to look at. And you also you can always look online for, for information and try something new. Even something as, as simple as, all right, I'm going to play along to a backing track or I'm going to play a, along to a song, but I'm going to start in a different place on the neck rather than starting in the same place yeah, with the same old yeah. lick. I'm going to find my licks but elsewhere on the neck. You know, just taking your regular licks and finding them somewhere else. You know, so you've got somewhere else to go. Try a different style. I once really, really wanted a nail country, and I knew that I was crap at chicken picking. So what did I do? I was lucky enough to have a little bit of money coming to me, an amp to trade. So I went and I bought 
a custom shop telly, new old stock 64 telly, which is just a lovely piece of kit. And I proceeded to learn some country stuff. I got a couple of the Guthrie Govan books, Creative Guitar books. Yeah, I've just recently got them. They're, yeah. they're brilliant. They the really, really are. The introduction to the first one But all of is those <laughs> is absolutely stunning. But all of these things are really, really good for just taking the ball by the horns and yeah. getting out of a rut. Don't be the guy who sits there and complains that his playing is all the same, always the same, but always plays the same thing. Yeah. You know, take the ball by the horns. Don't be the guy who complains that he really wants to play live when in every single town that I've ever come across, there's a number of open mic nights. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You've just got to put sometimes a little bit of effort in. If you put the effort in, it will come back to you. Remember, you can go to an open mic night without having to feel like you've got to play. You could take a guitar and then decide against it. You could go down and do a recce first and maybe even have a word with the organiser and say, you know, I'm a bit, you know. I mean, we've had people down the open mic night that are not very good, but they're good enough to get up and strum chords with the band. Well, fine. Yeah. That's what a good open mic night should be, supporting the musical community in your area. And, you know, sometimes something else which I think can really excite is go to a gig. Nothing makes me want to play the guitar uh, more than going to a gig and watching someone else do it. Oh, I know. I've got so many coming up. Do you know what I've got tickets for now? Thank you, Mum, <laughs> for my birthday. Got me a ticket for the Stones. Awesome. Yeah. So they've got that, Queens of the Stone Age, and there's Eric Clapton. And, oh, but all, oh, these things, yeah. all these things can be very, very inspirational. Yeah. And they make, I don't know about you, but they make me want to play guitar. I yeah. almost get jealous of the fact that the other guy's up there. You know, I want to get up there and grab the thing off him and play. Yeah. And so, yeah, fair enough, yeah. Some, sometimes, if, if this is something that plagues any of our listeners, try some of these things. The reason I haven't given you licks and stuff is because this isn't about licks. It's not about what you can and can't play. It's about making an effort. It's about putting some effort in. You know, if you really, really love writing songs and you feel you've lost your mojo, maybe it's a good time to work on some songs. Or maybe it's a good time to work on some technique so that you could play songs that are maybe have a little bit more complexity to them. Yeah. You know, or yeah, work, on your un- good sense. work on your understanding of theory so you know how chords all slot together. So you're not limited by your own self not limited by your knowledge you're only limited by what you can and can't physically play the nice effect of learning a lot of theory that i have discovered as well is once you put in all that effort Mm. you are motivated (laughs) you will never be demotivated in many ways because you've got all that theory to hand don't waste it you know get playing yeah i mean there's always something there's always something new to learn in theory and depending on how much you wish to fry your own brain there's something else that you can do every single time. There's there's more to learn. So whatever it is, whatever your penchant is, go and fulfil it. If watching a guitar player, another guitar player makes you want to play, go and watch another player. There are some amazing local bands if you look around. If you want to go and play the guitar but you don't have a band, you don't need a band. You can go to an open mic night and you'll probably find people there. I found two guys at the open mic night that I'm now playing in a band with. Yeah. There you go. So what was your other question? Let's tackle the other ones. That was number one. I'm going to yeah. wrap that one up there because I could go on all night and probably would if you let me. Uh, so we were talking about like what to do if you don't have much practice time. Yeah. 
Okay. And, and, and linked with that, some of something I notice is is I often find myself practicing. Uh, it's kind of linked with what we were just saying, really. You find yourself practicing a load of stuff. Yeah. And then while you're practicing that stuff, it's like whack a mole. Something else that you um, you know when you hit the mole and then another one. Oh, whack a mole! Whack a mole! It's like it's like that. You're kind of hitting one technique or or area of playing, and while you're doing it, you're losing track of a number of others. Well, I think I know that as hungry hippos rather than whack a mole. There you go, hungry hippos. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. Like that. You're, you've, you've got that marble, but you've missed the other one while you're you're going for that one. Okay, I had a. A kind of interesting experience some years back. There was this when he was alive. So this is quite a few years ago now, but it's it's within the last sort of eight ten years. Right? Years ago, I met with a guy called Big Jim Sullivan. Now, Big Jim Sullivan was a known session ace through the sixties and seventies, and has played with an awful lot of people. Yeah, he played with James Last and Eddie Cochran and a number of different people. And literally within sort of a year or so or less of playing, he was doing studio work. Because back in the 50s, it was very primitive, wasn't it? You know, the sort of yeah. studio situation. And so people were on a learning curve. You know, if one guy knows more than another guy, well, right, oh, well, he can play. If you can play a solo, well, that's good enough. Come and play on our record, you know. Of course, now there's thousands of session guitarists. It's a very, very hotly contested area. And it's all tied up in the media and what you look like and all the rest of it. However, we digress. I bumped into Jim about 25 years ago. And at the time, Jim was still gigging a lot and playing a lot. He was in the middle of doing, a, I think, a CD-ROM at the time it was for guitar. And he'd been a session guitar player for 25-odd years. Anyway, I met him on a course. And then some years later... Um, Big Jim kept resurfacing because he was in West Sussex. He's in Billing. He was in Billingshurst, and he kept resurfacing. He was also playing with a guy Willie Austin, who I played with. I took Jim's place when Jim had to do some award ceremony or something. So Jim was always sort of around, you know. He was kind of a known figure. And one time in a pub in town, they had like a Big Jim night kind of thing. I think it was actually for Peerless Guitars. Because Big Jim was an endorsee of Peerless Guitars. And so they had Big Jim there and I think another guy or two from Peerless Guitars. And Big Jim was playing a little bit and fielding questions. And I can't remember if it was a question I asked or somebody else did. But they asked him about styles. Now he was quite renowned for being able to play lots of different styles. He said, you know, you go in the studio in the 50s. And they kind of go, oh, can you play a Carl Perkins style solo or in the style of... I don't know who else was around at the time. Oh, there's um, quite a few different ones. Marvin, Maybe, yeah. There's a country guy as well. I always forget his name. He's got a telecaster, a special telecaster with flames on it. James Burton. for James Burton solo or Carl Perkins or whoever and so he developed all these different styles through being asked for this sort of stuff so he'd go back and listen to the records or whatever and, and work out what was going on with them so that when he got asked to do it he could play that style and he said you have to immerse yourself in the style now this I think is really really important you've got to remember that 
technique is one thing, but the whole style is another. So it's worth, you know, if you're if you're into doing the Nile Rogers thing, if you're into doing the funk thing, don't just think about I wanna go funky, funky, funky all the time. Listen to what Nile Rogers has done. Listen to his output. Listen to his cool playing on Diana Ross's upside down record. Listen to his cool playing on Notorious by Duranda Rem. You know, all the stuff he did with Sister Sledge. Yeah. People underestimate how good Nile Rogers is as a musician. He's pretty amazing. He really knows his stuff. When he went to make Sister Sledge what they are, do you know the story behind that? No, but I've, he has been doing something on the radio and I've been listening to a bit of that. I miss that bit. Basically, you know, this is how good this guy is. He went to the record company and he said, give me your lowliest act. Give me the act, you basically got, you know, they're not going anywhere as far as you are concerned, and I will do something with them. And that act was Sister Sledge. No way. <laughs> and he took Sister Sledge and made some of the biggest records of the 70s with them, all of them driven forward by his guitar playing and Bernie Edwards' amazing bass playing. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. And he really knows his stuff. If you immerse yourself in that music and listen to that music, you're going to be more likely to pick up on the pulse and pick up on the groove. It's all good learning a load of chicken-picking licks and everything, but it won't connect you to country music by going out there and listening to country music. If you want to know what makes modern country tick, listen to Carrie Underwood. Listen to Brad Paisley. Yeah, listen to Tim McGraw. And then you've got these amazing country guitarists, you know, Brad Paisley being one of them. You've got Johnny Highland. And there's that really... There's that guy you were telling me about before, Danny something, is it? or uh... Danny Donato. Yeah. He's amazing for a kid of his age as well. Just stunning, mm. stunning guitar player. Andy Wood plays some mean country stuff. Oh, I love Andy Wood. That flat-picking song he did was just fantastic. Really, really great player. Brent Mason. Oh, my life. Have you heard Brent Mason have, play? Yeah. yeah. It's just... Oh, it's untouchable, what? isn't it? <laughs> What's this guy up to? Guys, if you kind of immerse yourself in that world and that's what you listen to, you'll start to become more of that kind of player. Now, I think as well what happens is when you connect it with the music, it means so much more. 
Yeah. Because, you know, you pick up sometimes on the little nuances. Like Brad Paisley will sometimes bend from quite low notes, but bend to quite a melodic note. So you've got the G bender anyway as well, hasn't it? Is that right? Is it that... Uh, I, think he's, I think he's... The B bender is the classic the B one. Bender, yes. But I think Sorry. he's I think <laughs> he's got a guitar adapted for something else, which might well be a G yeah. as well. But this was Jim, Big Jim's advice, was, was throw yourself into the style. Because when you throw yourself into the style, you're not only getting the technique and the mechanics, you're getting the context. And also, it means you can easily filter it through into your other playing as well. How can you make something sound truly country if you never sat down and listened to a country record? So what you're saying is, is rather than just sitting on a soloing technique if you immerse yourself to, to everything you'll, you'll get the rhythm side of it you'll get the nuances that and what way. it's all about as and well what it, yeah. what makes it groove you know if you if you're listening to the drums on a sister sledge record they're going to be totally groove orientated it's going to be a completely different drum and bass approach to listening to say a dream theater record yeah a Dream Theatre record's going to be probably more technical, but it's less likely to be groove-based, if you see what I mean. Uh, totally, yeah. You know, if you listen to a country song, country, it's all about making it pretty, you know, making it sound kind of nice. It's not like some alternative stuff where it's much more jarring. Yeah. And kind of when you know those mechanics and dynamics within the different styles... I think it makes maybe the techniques related to them sort of stick. So if I play a song where I feel a country-style solo would be applicable, I can turn on the country element in my playing. Yeah. If I'm playing something which is more alternative rock or punky, I have to rough my playing up and make it looser. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. But yeah. you have to listen to enough of each of the groups of music to understand what the hell makes it tick. Yeah. And I've probably listened to more rock than anything else. That's why I can rip through rock without thinking about it. Yeah, and it comes out and you play it. Yeah. And like, you know, things like the country is definitely there, but it's, you know, something I came to much later on. Yeah, that, that makes, makes that does make sense. That's a good way of maintaining all the kind of skills. I would also be careful of focusing on too many different things at once. Your poor little brain will explode and you will not learn anything enough. When I was yeah. learning funk stuff, I sat there for hours on end. I kid you not. <laughs> Playing funk licks like that. Yeah. And I'd start with a simple lick. Fifth and seventh fret, and then just add little bits.
I spent ages doing that, and it was almost all I would play. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing this past couple of weeks. Is right, that, and so like, it's working. Turn that metronome on, keep chucking it on, tap your foot. Oh, I'm finding it hard to tap my foot to that. I'm tapping it at the wrong time. Slow it down, tap my foot in time. It's a real, you know, going, going yeah. back process. And there was a time when I could do that better. So it's like it's building up that skill again. And yeah. Tapping your foot must be so important. Why are I doing it? Well, it's like you know? a kick drum, isn't it? It's like yeah. part of your internal metronome, really. Yeah. But, you know, if you if you hammer that stuff away, you know, people think because it's funky, it's easy, but it's getting it in the pocket. It's getting it in that groove. And then maybe try it with a chord progression as well, you know. <laughs> Yourself in into the zone enough. I think with some things too, like the country stuff, because it's awkward, you yeah. need to play enough of the quite hard to access it in the first place. Uh, yeah, because of its awkwardness. You, you know, you can play the chords, but that's not what it's all about. Is it? Like in, the country rhythm actually is something we've not really maybe covered too much, is it? I suppose. Well, I've got a really good backing track here for you to try. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now this is a Danny Gatton. That's actually, I think, maybe who I was thinking about earlier. Oh, he was Gatton. an amazing yeah. player, Danny Gatton. Yeah. I mean, he suicide, didn't he? I didn't know that. No, he, he did, did yeah. Go out and check him out a little while ago. He, Danny Gatton was just an incredible, incredible talent. And yet most of the time, he yeah, he sat there mending his hot rods and stuff. And occasionally right. he would get a call to go on tour or support other artists or whatever. But yeah, amazing. Do you want some dirt on you? Yeah, go on. Chuck some filth on there. Just a bit of grease on there. By the way, folks, whenever we do backing tracks like this, Dan always goes first. (laughs) (laughs) My choice. Okay. Thank you. 
also got to be able to play rhythm. <laughs> Immerse yourself in a style to try and get the best of it and to understand how the playing fits into the greater scheme of things. If you can stand the sugariness of some of the country records, I know they're not all like that. I quite like the Brad Paisley stuff because I quite like songs that tell stories. I like Bruce Springsteen's stuff for the same reason. His is a sort of a almost like a country rock crossover. It's a little bit rougher and readier. But the Brad Paisley stuff has got some amazing playing on it. And some of it's just damn tasteful. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just really good. What was the other question you had? Yeah, the, yeah the, the, the last question was about how do you make the leap from intermediate to advanced? And if someone's an advanced player, then, you know, how do you recognise that? Or, or, or Do you know what? I think question. that's a real tough question. Because it's like, is Dave Gilmore an advanced player? Well, of course, yes, he is. Yeah. In as much as he's very in command of his guitar, his playing is instantly recognisable. 
I've never met a guitar player that doesn't like Dave Gilmore's playing. He almost seems to transcend the traps that that, that other guitar players end up in. There's something which is timeless cool about what Pink Floyd do. It's like intelligent rock. And it sort of doesn't, it doesn't start suffer from the stigma of blues where we've heard it all before. Nor does it suffer from the stigma of some prog rock where it can get so technical that for some people they feel it sort of disappeared up its own backside. It seems to be that, you know, everyone loves Wish You Were Here, everyone loves The Wall, everyone loves Comfortably Numb. There's yeah. something for everyone in there, happy songs, sad songs. There's still songs that tell stories, songs full of atmosphere and songs that take you somewhere else. Chris and, Green raised that album medal. Yeah, I'm not overly familiar with that album. I came to Pink Floyd later on, I think. I was listening to some of the later records. Bizarrely, a mate of mine did a tape and it had relics on one side. Oh, yeah, which that's is, good, yeah. Really old, that one. It is. It's a slightly mad record, you know, Sid Barrett, you know, all over it. And then I had momentary lapse of reason. And, of course, the, the Sid Barrett one was pretty mad, but you can see what he was trying to do. But momentary lapse of reason, that just had me absolutely captivated. And I sort of loved that, wish you were here, dark side of the moon, the wall. Listened to that stuff endlessly in my 20s. You know, absolutely bought into it. Division Bell, again, amazing, amazing album. And their live shows are, are something else. So... Back to your question, yes, Dave Gilmore is definitely an advanced player, but when you break his playing down, in terms of notes and scales and note choices, there's nothing really particularly advanced in it. He picks great notes, he's got an amazing feel, of course he's an amazing player, but he's an amazing player for the emotion that he puts into it, and for the way his playing tells a story. I was listening to the other day, and I wrote it out for a pupil, on the turning away. Oh yeah, that's a momentary. That's amazing, amazing song, a simple yeah. song, but a really amazing song. And the guitar just like it comes along and hits you like a ten-ton truck. Just from the first note to the last, it's it's just like I'm playing every note and I'm sodding mean every one. Yeah, and I'm not joking. The same way that like Gary Moore does, you know, used to do the same yeah. thing. Every note just came along and hit you between the eyes. But it, obviously, in his case, much more in a sort of a sort of slightly more aggressive manner. But Dave Gilmore just comes along and kind of hits you with those guitar notes, and it's like someone hitting you with a you know a right hander. Yeah, it, it's like whoa, wow. Do you know what I mean? The emotion that he puts in it, every single note. Like Gary Moore um, video you played for me a couple of weeks ago, oh, just yeah. after we were finished. Stunning. What was that? That was a was it Roy Buchanan? It was a Roy Buchanan track called "The Messiah Will Come Again." It was covered on the After the War album. Yeah, I'll put that on the website.
But to me, where do you, where do you, you know, you were talking about like the weekend warrior, the bedroom player, the advanced player. I think there's lots of different people that fall under the advanced banner. If you, if music is a language, and if the most important thing about a language is being able to say what you have to say, being able to verbalize and communicate with people, players like Gary Moore, because people could believe his playing, they could buy into it. It wasn't a fancy trick. It was like, this is me, this is my guitar, I'm getting a big old sound and here I come. They can buy into that. And Dave Gilmore is the same. You know, he's playing over his own songs, playing solo, and he means every note. And it's a bit like the thing, like when you, you go and you watch, you know, a program like The Voice, and you hear good singers and bad singers, and you can get some really good singers, but they're just really good singers. Hmm. I'm not believing every word they're singing. Yeah. They're singing it perfectly. They've got all the bells and whistles, and there's nothing wrong with what they're singing, but I'm not feeling it. And I don't just mean feeling it as in, you know, you can you can get a punk like guy playing punk guitar who's really basic, who feels every note and means every note he plays, but he's very much a diamond in the rough, maybe. But for that simple style, often guys seem to be quite basic in their abilities. Yeah. If I'm honest. Yeah. Whereas someone like Dave Gilmore has honed his tone. Every record, he has the perfect tone for it. He listened to Sorrow. He's got that massive fuzzy tone that would not work anywhere else. Yeah. And he's got a massive delay and reverb on it, and it just works perfectly there. Yeah, it's taking yeah. some thought. Exactly. And, uh, and, it, and to, to me, what's the... Experience. It's not enough. It's not enough. To me, it's kind of, it's almost like when you hear somebody who is at that place where however fast or slow they play, however complicated they play, stuff they play, or however simple the stuff they play, when they can channel some of what they're all about through it so that their personality comes out in what they're playing Mm -hmm. and they're recognisable identifiable. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you listen to Mark Knopfler, he's got personality all over his playing. Yeah. You know, that you can't avoid. I would say when you're looking at what's the difference between an advanced player and, say, a bedroom player, I think a lot of bedroom players are copying other people, maybe. Mm. They've maybe become very good at copying other people. They maybe become very good at learning scales and playing with a metronome and all the rest of it. But you don't necessarily have that personality coming out yeah, in, yeah. in in the playing. And you get that from playing live, really. I, th- I, I think, think you get it from playing so much that you're so, you're so used to it. You get to a point where you go, well, I've learned a bunch of scales. I've learned a bunch of techniques. What now? And it's like wringing the towel out and trying to get the last drop of water out of it. Do you know what I mean? Isn't so easy. 
as the first yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of ringing of the towel and all the water falls out of it when you've been swimming or something. And I think you get to that point where you have to transcend how many notes you're playing and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, well, you know, well, I can play this Dream Theater record. Well, that's great. That's fabulous. I'm very happy for you. And, you know, that's John Petrucci's style and that's his thing and that's really cool. But, you know, you listen to someone like Jeff Beck. full of personality you know I think John Petrucci's playing is chock full of his personality yeah. but they've each got their own thing going on can we hear a Gary solo and go I know that's Gary yeah. and his personality's coming out in every single note probably just by the amount of mistakes but yeah <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear it by the good stuff yeah 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 but you, you want it so that people can go ah oh, yeah I had a very, very weird thing happen to me. I didn't stage this. I didn't prompt it. But a couple of years ago, a mate of mine went to see my old guitar teacher, Brian Counter, And he said it was really weird because obviously he said you can, you can hear Brian's influence has clearly rubbed off on you to the point where there are bits of each other's playing where you play alike. And he said it's almost though when we were approaching the pub and about to go in, and I could hear his playing from the outside, it was like I was listening to you. Yeah, yeah. And that was really weird. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It is kind of cool, I guess, but kind of odd. I mean, I've seen Brian play many times, and, you know, long since I've had lessons with him, and there are things he does, and you go, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, I reckon, yeah, okay, I'll get it. Yeah, I hear a bit of me going on there. Yeah. Or him going on in my play. But it's interesting. You've got to have your own thing going on. You've got to have your own sound. You've got to have your kind of licks, that, the things that you kind of do, the things that work for you. And I think this is the point where it's a real crossover point. Where you've done the legwork, you've learned the techniques, you've learned the solo, you've learned how to play a bunch of styles, you've learned how to play other people's stuff, and now you are being you. I think I said this once before, but... One of the biggest things I could never get my head around is like I almost had a kind of like funny moment some years back, and I thought, "Who am I as a player? What you know? What represents me as a player out there? Long hair? I don't have any hair. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, spandex. You know, it's bad enough <laughs> looking at this in shorts. <laughs> you know, never mind spandex." 
And I thought, what am I? Because I'm not a country guitarist, but I can play some country stuff. I'm a rock guitarist, I suppose, but I do more than just play rock. I'm not a jazzer. I'm not sitting there with a big toilet seat guitar and a corduroy jacket and a brown amplifier. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a jazzer. I'm definitely not a blueser, but I can play bluesy stuff. I could hold my own with a decent blues player, I think. Yeah. And I've got all these styles going on, which I like. And I thought, do you know what? I'm just me. I just am me. And I play like me. Yeah. Whatever me is. And I just sound like me. Yeah, no, that's a good uh, place to get to, isn't it? And I have a certain kind of sound, I guess. And that's kind of how I kind of roll with it. But for a while, it was almost like having an identity crisis. Like, who the hell am I? What category do I... Well, I don't actually need to pigeon myself, pigeonhole myself into a certain category. And I think it's when you get to the point, not necessarily of of what you're playing tells you. You know, your playing needs to be obviously of a standard where it sounds professional. You know, whether you're fast or slow, you need to sound professional. So you have, need to have your muting down. You need to have, you know, at least a good understanding of, of how things sound and play the right notes and, and all that kind of thing. But I think an advanced player is one who started at the very least to really hone his style. Is it advanced as in advanced technically? You could be a technically advanced lead player who plays in their bedroom, but is crap in pl- uh, playing in a band. You could be really, really great at writing songs but not necessarily be a particularly accomplished guitarist but i personally think it's when you've when you're able to kind of sort of put your stamp on something to do that you do need a degree of technique you do need a degree of ability and understanding of how the instrument goes together and how it all works and making your playing tidy and yeah being able to sort of trail off with your volume control so it's not a bum fight at the end of every solo getting a good sound live in every situation, being able to turn your hand to a number of different styles, all of that goes along with it. But I think as well, it's it's being a player who's recognisable by the sound and by the way they play. You know, someone who has a distinct, they have their thing going on. When I play a blues, I don't play a blues like a pub guitarist. You know, I know I don't. You know, there's this really interesting little thing Marty Friedman had going with this little teaching thing and he was saying he would take something normal and then he kind of like muck it up just to muck it up so he'd take a normal phrase and then he'd just mess around with it until it you know, until it became something quite different you know so taking you know he'd take the norm and he'd mess around with it and I think that's what I've done with a lot of my regular sort of blues playing I've, I've taken the idea and then like I was showing a kid today like mixing a really bluesy kind of lick with a very, very fast sixes pattern to give you a basically blues shred. Yeah. Like that fire and fury lesson we did a while back. This was a, um, the blues shred. <coughs> gratuitous blues shred. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so you got the, the, the sort of Dorian. Yeah, 
these things. Yeah. Well, you come to that kind of idea then and I said well basically you got the blues <laughs> and then you mix that with a, a much more shreddy <laughs> sort of yeah. sixes because yeah, by that doing sixes much easier to pick. Yeah, yeah. So you can swing through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And then you get something very, very bluesy. And we've got the blues note there as well as there. It's that kind of thing that you would normally kind of put out, isn't it? So it's a different sound. So Completely. Yeah. That's what you're, exactly what you're saying. That's it. Well, you can play kind of similar sort of notes you can play it with, you know, a different sound on your guitar, maybe the in-between stratty sound, and get a more country, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Country kind of... Yeah, mixing it up. All right, lovely. No, that's so, really good. Thanks, Dan. Okay, sorry there was so much chat tonight, but you know. I think it's good. I think it's good. It just helps you to know exactly what you need to work on and where you need to go and how you need to keep things moving in the big picture. And that's sometimes mm. easy to lose track of, isn't it? When you're coming across different stumbling blocks and you're thinking, oh, I need to work on this, I need to work on that, I need to work on this. Sometimes the big picture's pretty You can important. only cope with so much in one hit. That's why it's kind of good, I think, to immerse yourself in one thing. You know, if you're if you're working on your alternative picking, don't try and work on your alternative picking and your sweet picking. Yeah. You know, until you've got both up to a level where you can afford to sort of do that. You know, kind of tackle one thing at a time. I think. Yeah. You know, I think that's the, the way forward, and that includes styles and and everything in a way. You want to get things to the point of comfort where you can drop them into your own style of playing. And you're only going to do that by going over them again and again. Otherwise, yeah. it's not going to happen. You're, you're never going to get to a point of comfort with a style where you're you're happy to... It'll always be a bit Have alien a to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. No worries. Stay tuned for more episodes, jams, improvisation ideas and well-informed thoughts about amps, pedals and guitar tone. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud, or see our website on tunein-toneup.com. Here you'll find show notes, tabs, and further research and resources. It's also a good place to get in touch. We hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and as useful as I do, and if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Yeah.